this week on the Backtable Podcast. And then the nice thing about it is, because it's an IVIS catheter, once you're through all the way, you can actually pop that as the monorail again over your wire that's through and then IVIS the whole thing and get an idea of your type of plaque that you're dealing with, the size of the vessel, which I think is important to properly size for post, uh, whether you're ballooning or stenting. So I think that there's a lot of things that we garner from IVIS. That's why I always use, push it down there just to make sure that A, we're in the true lumen all the way down and B, to just get an idea of what's going on in that vessel. Welcome to the Backtable Podcast, your source for all things interventional and endovascular. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and on backtable.com. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. This discussion is supported by Philips Image Guided Therapy Devices Academy, a resource aimed at improving patient outcomes with awareness, education, and optimized solutions through diagnosis, treatment, and follow-up. Their goal is to support healthcare professionals through the clinical pathway, which takes their interest in Philips' best-in-class technology and translates it to applicable skills for appropriate clinical applications. They continue to deliver strategic, valuable educational programs that meet the evolving needs of their customers. Philips Image Guided Therapy Devices Academy will give you access to upcoming live courses led by leaders in the field, self-paced distance learnings, on-demand case reviews, personalized peer-to-peer training, and comprehensive educational opportunities. From basic to advanced educational opportunities, they are dedicated to helping you achieve long-term success as well as competence and confidence with the Philips Peripheral Device Portfolio. They look forward to working with you on your developmental journey. If you have any questions, please contact them at philips.pvmeded at philips.com. Again, that's philips.pvmeded at philips.com. Now, back to the episode. I'm your host, Dr. Ali Behetti, coming to you from Tacoma, Washington. My guest today is Dr. Thomas Davis. He's the director of the Cardiac Cath Lab at St. John Hospital and Medical Center. Dr. Davis, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Our topic today is re-entry devices in CLI with an emphasis on the Pioneer Plus catheter. Before we get started talking about that, Dr. Davis, could you please tell me a little bit about your practice setting? Sure. I'm a little bit of an old goat in this field, it seems. I started really way back in 1993 in my practice where I've been in. I started getting interested in peripheral interventions around 1995. We did some in my fellowship, but wasn't doing a lot. And I have an 18-man group right now, or I shouldn't say 18-man, 18-person group since we have a few ladies there. And I predominantly became the one that started doing peripheral and so have continued to do that and do the, the bulk of the work for my group. We started off really doing more simple cases, non-total occlusions of iliac and SFAs, and then uh, started doing uh, more stenting, and then have really evolved into uh, doing more critical limb ischemia in terms of limb salvage, and have been part of several different conferences, such as amputation prevention at NCVH in terms of being course directors for these two. So my career sort of evolved over the course of time, but really now do mostly CLI cases. That's so great. That's interesting to hear about your career trajectory there. And are you primarily in a hospital setting? Well, right now it's both hospital and an office-based lab. We started our office-based lab about six years ago where we started it. And it really, to be honest, it blossomed more during COVID because no one could get their procedures done at the hospital. And we had all these limb-threatening problems going on. And so we started doing them predominantly at the OBL, the office-based lab. 
And that's where a large trajectory started going. And we learned to do more difficult cases there, I think, as an outpatient. Patients loved it. It was a much more comfortable setting for patients. And the safety seemed to be just better than actually at the hospital, I think. So that's where probably majority have been going lately. Okay. That's an interesting fact that it kind of blossomed during COVID and that you've been able to keep that going. Well, that's fantastic. Thanks for telling me about your practice. So let's kind of get into the meat of our discussion. How did you first become acquainted with the Pioneer Plus catheter? The more complex disease states that keep on occurring, you know, we're seeing more and more and more of it, as you know, more total occlusions, multi-level disease being both infra-inguinal and infrapopliteal. So that in of itself inspired me to look for other options to become true luminal and re-enter certainly out of these total occlusions, out of the uh, subintimal crossings that we had. I would say probably 95% of our cases now at least are CTOs. And so in many of the cases, you don't stay true lumen, especially for the lengthy lesions. We'll have 20, 30, 40 centimeter lesions that are CTOs. And so it's very, very difficult to stay intraluminal. We found the crossing devices work for the most part, but they're very expensive to use. And so with that, went into using the IVIS guided reorientation reentry devices. And that's how I got started. I see. Okay. Had you had experience with IVIS before using Pioneer? Our hospital, we were an IVIS training course and training center. So we would do a lot of IVIS training sessions for both tax physicians and things like that. And we would do those usually about once every couple months. We've been doing IVIS for a long time. Well, you touched a little bit on, you know, how often are you true versus subintimal. Can you walk me through your algorithm for once you are subintimal? Oh, sure. Right now, when we are subintimal or I feel like we're subintimal, especially if you see a calcified area outline that you know you're outside of, I will right then and there start getting the pioneer. Because I think that once you start keeping on wiring, you get that subintimal space so large, you'll get a hematoma in there. And then it can get to a point where it's almost impossible to re-enter the vessel at those places. And we did a study called a central study. We did it using a crossing catheter. And we looked at about, I think we had about 70, 80 cases and it was a multi-center. We had about six sites involved and we did a ultrasound guided look at whether we were true lumen, whether we were subintimal, whether we extended the lesion beyond the total occlusion, proximal distal, whether we had tears or dissections. And we scored these from a score of zero to eight. And what we found was, is that the worse the crossing, the worst the outcomes in terms of six-month restenosis rates. If you had a clean crossing with no subintimal tears or anything, we had restenosis rates in the single digits. And if you had a worse crossing, it was as high as 70%. You could predict which ones. So that's why I wanted to stay true lumen, and that's where the IVIS catheter came in. So I don't keep on trying to push the uh, different wires or escalate different things. We'll just go right to trying to cross. And I don't extend my wire into where the uh, re-entry site is. I'll go above that. And my IVIS catheter, I can see exactly where we went subintimal. And I'll back up just a little bit. And you can see the total occlusion. And with the Pioneer device being orientated till 12 o'clock. And then when I puncture in there, the wire will go into the lumen, true lumen. And then I can just keep on advancing the wire. I may have to do that a couple times to ultimately get to the distal cap, 
but it's a way that I found that I can stay true Lumen and the IVIS guided on that really does help. Okay. So just so I'm clear, so you bring your IVIS back up to where you know your true Lumen. So before you've gone subentimal. Exactly. Right. So you can see if you're in the media of the vessel, you know, if you're really deep in the media, it almost looks like a reverse snowman. The little small dot that your catheter is, and then the big area where the uh, lumen is. And if you're just minimally subintimal, it almost looks like an A shape because you're not as deep in the media. So once you see those looks of the uh, IVIS catheter, you just pull back just a little bit so you see that you're truly true lumen, and that's where it is. Okay. Okay. That's a little bit different technique than I'm kind of used to using. I've always kind of understood it as once you're in the subentimal space, you can use that Pioneer device to get you back into true lumen from subentimal and then you cross and connect the dots and stent across, right? But your idea is that you take it back to the true lumen and then puncture into true lumen without ever going subentimal. Exactly. Exactly. And I think you get better results with that. Certainly, if you have calcified vessels and if you're stenting into a subintimal area, sometimes you have a harder time expanding those stents. So I think it really does work better in that sense. I find myself having better outcomes. And then no wire escalation. Okay, so that's that's interesting too. So a lot of folks I've spoken to, they'll try kind of with a heavy weighted tip wire to get back into the true lumen, things like that. But that is not a part of your algorithm, right? No. I find that, uh, like I said, again, once I start escalating wires and I'm in the subentimal spot, I think it's difficult to get back into the true lumen. And as I said, if you take a look at your ultrasound and you really, the subintimal space that you're putting your wires into, you know, a lot of times they'll loop up and they cause a much bigger dissection plane. And it's amazing how much that extra luminal area space gets. We've seen Ivises where that space just hemorrhages into there. And it can actually impact on the true lumen itself. And so you'll see the true lumen being smaller on the IVUS. So I think that that's why I don't escalate because I don't want to wreck that subintimal space, so to speak, or tear or destroy it because I think it just leads to worse outcomes. All right. So is this basically what you're describing to me? Is this the reorientation technique? Exactly. I'm not re-entering the vessel. I'm reorientating the wire so I never leave the vessel. Do you have a wire of choice you like to put through once you have your needle in? It varies. I like to use a little bit stiffer wire so it can puncture into the uh, vessel there. A lot of times you'll find micro circulation in there, micro pores, channels that uh, you can actually get that wire through. I usually use an Estado, Estado 20. You know, with that device, you need to have an 014 wire. So that's a fairly stiff 014 wire. And it works very, very well. That way it doesn't buckle up so much. And I can put a little bend on it. I can try to steer it. And once you get into those micro channels, a lot of times you only have to reorientate once and you'll just pop right down and get into the distal cap. All right. Yeah, I feel like I've destroyed like a million spartacores <laughs> trying to do that, you know? Yes. <laughs> but that's a really good idea to use a heavier wire. Still cannot have the tip be nitinol coated, right? Because you're worried about shear, but... Right. Because yeah, so like uh, anything with a coating on it, if you push the needle out, because most of the time, a lot of times until you get used to this, you're not going to be putting it into the true room and you're still going to get into that subliminal space. And if you pull that wire back and it's a coated wire, yeah, you can shear that off very easily. So that's why you really need a, a non-coated and a heavier wire is better. Are there any other things about the reorientation technique that you'd like the audience to know if they were going to try it? Sure. Well, I think, you know, the biggest thing is, like I said, once you know that you're subintimal, I think go down there. 
the way the device works, we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, this is a great time. If you were a DeNovo Pioneer user, how would you explain it to somebody who was using it for the first time? So it's a monorail system. And so you can put that over your wire that you have parked down there. And you're watching the IVIS as you go down. And, you know, usually your true blue are for a period of time, sometimes short, sometimes much lengthier. And once you see that you're starting to get into the media, that's where I'll pull back. The uh, end pull port is the needle port. So that's where I put my Estado wire in. And I park it just before where the needle port comes out. You orientate the true lumen or where you're looking at the true lumen. Because usually if it's an SFA, it's going to be five, six millimeters in size. And the nice thing about it is you can get IVIS depth with this too. So you orientate the needle to 12 o'clock and then you can count the uh, lines in terms of how big the vessel is. You know, So if it's five millimeters, you can set your depth to uh, say three millimeters and then puncture it through. When you push your wire out, it looks like a bright tip coming out by the IVIS because the IVIS is in front of your needle port. And you can see if that needle actually went into the lumen or if it went too deep and went into the subventil space more at, at 12 o'clock or if it never made the uh, true lumen, but it stayed in your false lumen. And you'll see that bright light next to your catheter as well, too. So that's the best way to, that way you can tell for sure when you actually look at that picture where your wire is. And uh, sometimes you'll have to rotate it a little bit. Sometimes it's going to be one o'clock. Sometimes it's going to be 11 o'clock that you have to reorientate that turn. So you know you get into the lumen. But once you do and you can get that wire in there, once I get my wire down a little bit, I'll retract the needle just so I don't have to worry about shearing anything or doing any problems like that. And I'll just keep on pushing the wire down until I get that where, where I've either exited or I think I may be subadventitial again. And then just take the device out. You can now use that needle wire that you push out the needle as your monorail and go back down. Sometimes the trick that I'll use, because OBL, you're trying to be cost conscious. Once I've used the Estado to poke through and I'll go down again with my device over as a monorail. When I get to the point where I know I'm subintimal, I'll pull that monorail wire back out, the Estado, and then use it again to puncture. And so you can actually save wires in terms of reusing that wire multiple times at your punctures. Okay. Yeah. No, that definitely would not fly with the wires that I've been using through that. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've been there where I've gone through a lot of wires. <laughs> so is there anything in the slides that you want to show me based on that reorientation slide? where you show where the wire is wrong and the wire is right. Mind walking me through that picture? Sure. Uh, is it the schematic drawing that I have? Yeah, let's do the schematics first. So that's the schematic. So it shows where your wire initially goes. I call it subadventitial rather than subintimal because you're below the true lumen and the adventitia, somewhere in the media. One of my vascular surgery friends from New York taught me that. He corrected me every time I said subintimal. <laughs> So that wire, as you can see, it goes in there. Then the device is coming in over the wire, and you can see where it's actually in the true lumen itself. The IVIS is looking upwards, so that's the 12 o'clock orientation. And then you can see the needle going in, and then the wire on another diagram going out of the needle. And you can see one of those where it never makes the true lumen. It stays within the false lumen, so that's a wrong orientation. So you have to reorientate. Again, you may have to go a little bit deeper with your puncture. And then I think the last one will show the wire 
going into the true lumen as it goes out. Then as you take the device out, you can see that the wire is now true lumen the whole way down in the CTO. All right. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And then, yeah, you have a picture, a fluoroscopic image. It shows the wire down through the needle site. Exactly. Exactly. And, and then the nice thing about it is you can throw that because it's an IVUS catheter. You can put that, once you're through all the way, you can actually pop that as a, the monorail again over your wire that's through and then IVUS the whole thing and get an idea of your type of plaque that you're dealing with, the size of the vessel, which I think is important to properly size for post, uh, whether you're ballooning or stenting. So I think that there's a lot of things that we garner from IVUS. That's why I always use push it down there just to make sure that A, we're in the true lumen all the way down and B, to just get an idea of what's going on in that vessel. Do you ever have trouble with trackability of the Pioneer device over your wire, especially once you've kind of done this, cross this really tiny plane with the needle as compared to just the regular IVIS catheter? Yes and no. I think it depends what type of plaque you're dealing with. Sometimes because that needle puncture site is uh, pretty small. Sometimes I'll have to take a balloon, a short 20 millimeter balloon, just to dilate that puncture site into the vessel so I can get the device down there. Sometimes I'll almost, when I get it there, I'll almost corkscrew the device a little bit, try to spin it through that tight lesion. Once you get through that area that you punctured and dotted it, so to speak, whether it's the balloon or the device, it usually goes down pretty easily after that. Okay, so we talked about kind of how do you pick the needle deployment length that's based on the lumen size you see on IVIS. We talked about how to, you know, if the wire is correct on the IVIS picture. What are the pain points for the device? So where do most new users get bungled? Well, I think the IVIS portion of it, you really have to understand at least a good basic concept of IVIS. And I think that's your starting point. The other thing is people get hung up on how depth I have to put that uh, needle the other thing that I find is that cord, the length of the shaft of the uh, device, if as you're turning it and you're trying to torque it and going around, sometimes that will put a lot of tension on it. And when you start to try to push the needle out, it, it doesn't go because that shaft is now twisted a little bit. So you sort of have to reorientate the shaft to neutral and then try turning around again uh, in a gentle area. Because that's a frustrating thing I've seen users in my hospital do when I have to come in and give them a hand. It's, you know, I can't get the needle to go out. It won't go out. Because you have like a wire wrap kind of. Exactly. Because you're pushing that needle out on that shaft. And if there's too much tension bound up in there, when you've ro rotated around, rotate it around and it's tight, it's kind of like if you take a dish rag and it's straight or and you take both ends, candy wrap it, and now all of a sudden there's a lot of torque in that that's where the needle will have a hard time coming out. And you can fix that by just getting rid of that, all that tension that's in the catheter and also maybe pulling back sometimes. Because again, as you're pushing these devices through a total occlusion, it generates a lot of torque and pressure on the uh, catheter. And so again, that'll have a problem on the shaft as you're pushing the needle out. So again, you may have to pull back a little bit just to take all that tension off the catheter. Catheter works well if there's not a lot of tension. If there's tension, then you can have problems. Makes sense. And then are there any situations where you would prefer a different type of reentry device rather than the, the Pioneer? Well, I think that the really problematic ones are the very heavily calcified vessels because, again, what you end up doing is that needle will have a hard time going through thick calcium. So you either have to 
go beyond the calcified spot, make a subintimal area for short term till you get beyond the calcium that you see it on the ivus where you can puncture. Again, you got to remember that ivus is a little bit in front of the needle. So what that ivus is seeing, it's just a couple millimeters back of it. So that's why if you're seeing a calcium on there, you're probably puncturing into it. And I think the other thing that's difficult is when you get infrapopliteal into tibial vessels, because A, the length of the catheter has a hard time getting down there, and B, the depth of that needle can be very, very tricky because your tibial vessels are much smaller. And if you're going into a subintimal plane, that's a big catheter to go in there. So you might have a little bit more difficult time. The other places I've said before where I think users have a problem is when they've done so much trying to wire or put a big loop on their glide wire and just sort of push down, that subintimal space becomes so large that the catheter as it sits there, you push the needle out and all it does is push the catheter back towards the back of the wall and the needle doesn't come out. So, because there's no, you don't have anything in the back of the needle to sit against. So that's the other problem too. If you get in spaces like that, you just got to go beyond where you're at or above it to try to reorientate. Gotcha. Yeah, no, once you go subintimal, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways you can do things, but this is a novel one that I haven't heard yet. So super exciting, super excited to try it next time I have this issue. Yeah, I think the other options for Outback or Interior, which are the other ones that we'll use every now and then, I think the the Outback is nice because it's a little bit stiffer of a catheter. So those deep spaces, it can have a better chance of puncturing. And I think Interior works uh, much better with below the knee vessels, the infra the pop the tibial vessels, where you can do that. I guess we kind of skipped this part, but what is your algorithm from the beginning of starting a leg, especially in a CTO where you know that you're probably going to go subintimal at some point? Walk me through kind of like your setup. So I usually do a crossover from uh, right to left. So I'll do an integrate up and over that's typical. And we do a lot of ad hoc. So we don't have a CT angiogram or, you know, we're, we're dealing with critical limbs. So we try to get them on the table quickly. So we're trying to do all of that. So we're we kind of get an idea by our ultrasound, but sometimes they'll just have ABIs when we start because we know they have to go. And, and I find that CTAs are useful for iliacs, SFA, popliteal, but I think once you get down to the tibial vessels and into the foot, I think CT angiograms just are not as good at defining the spaces and things. So I think a good angiogram is better than that at that point. So we, we go up and over and we'll shoot our pictures. I certainly try to, if depending upon where my CTO is, if it's in the SFA or popliteal below, I try to get my catheters for my imaging down as low as I can. So if it's popliteal below occlusions, I try to bring my catheter. I usually like use an IMA catheter. I'll try to bring it down to the knee and do my digital subtraction imaging from there. So I have the catheter all the way down. I'm not getting washed out. And I get a better image of some of the collaterals and things like that so I can see communicating vessels and everything. Then I decide where I'm gonna what, what I'm gonna use. If I I'll use a shorter sheath, like 45 or 55. If I'm doing SFA work, if I'm doing popliteal and below, I'll I'll go with a, a longer sheath. Again, I think I use less contrast that way. All these patients better pictures, less contrast. So I use a 70 or even sometimes a 90 sheath going down there, depending upon how low it is. In the hospital, I'll sometimes use crossing devices, but I'm an image ki- kind of geek, as you can tell. So I'll use OCT uh, guided catheters going through there sometimes to help stay true lumen because my goal is to always be true lumen. 
at least for 95% of that crossing. And then like in the office space lab, I'll just bring a uh, stiff guiding catheter with uh, gliders and I'll just pop through. And uh, in many cases, once you get past the cap, if you're in the true lumen right away, it'll just, you can just keep on pushing that catheter. I, I just push it all the way down till it stops. I may use my glide wire at that point. So just to pause you for a second, because we speak slightly different languages between cardiology and IR, but when you say like a stiff guiding cath, you're not just talking about like a regular five French burn or vert or something. You're just talking about something stiffer than that? I usually use an 035 crossing catheter, such as uh, Bard's crossing catheter. I like that because it's a little bit stiffer, but you know, usually the 035 crossing catheter is one of them. I just like the Bard's because it's a little bit stiffer and goes through total occlusions. Sorry about that. I keep on forgetting sometimes there is a difference. That's what's great about these, though. Like, I get to learn cardiology lingo. I get to learn vascular surgery lingo. I learned about subadventitial today, apparently, you know, instead of subintimal. So there you go. So, well, see, that's a vascular surgery, I think. So I interrupted you. But yeah, so you have your five French crossing catheter and then like an 035 glide wire. Right. And then I'll go down. And when I get to the point that I think I'm not cross, you know, I'm having a difficulty, then I'll immediately go switch out to a Pioneer. Several times, though, you'll cross without a difficulty. The catheter will go all the way down with that. I'll always IVUS. I think IVUS is imperative for doing CTOs, long CTOs. Like I said, not just for sizing, but the morphology of what you're dealing with, whether it's mixed, it's calcified. A lot of times, you know, we'll see calcium on the image and it's just all in the media and there's no luminal calcium. So I think that those are important things because you know, if you go to balloon something like that, there's nowhere that that vessel's not going to expand. Because when you balloon something, that vessel has to expand. There's nowhere for that plaque to go. So I think those are places where debulking is important or appropriately sizing your stent to properly prep the vessel. And again, doing um, drug-coated balloons even there. I think, you know, the, the, a lot of that morphology is important to know. So I'll always IVUS when I'm, when I'm doing that. Back up for one second so I can make sure I clarify a point. So you basically try to cross with your 035 system. If that's not working and you get subintimal, you just go straight to the Pioneer basically, right? You don't mess around with trying to do stuff with an 014. Don't do anything like that. You're like, all right, I'm I'm bagging this Pioneer time. It's, it's faster. Time time is time is money. So, you know, the, the, the more time you stand in there, the more radiation you burn on yourself, the more frustrated you get. So... I just find it's just faster trying to re-enter with a, a wires because, you know, and eventually if you fail, you have to do something different anyways. So yeah, I will do that right away uh, on all my cases. I don't have to use a Pioneer all the time, but probably maybe 50% of the time, but that's where I'm quick to use that so I can stay there. Now, infrapopliteal is a little bit different because again, a lot of your crossing catheters don't work down there. Uh, our re-entry catheters are, are difficult down there. So um my go-to wire below the knee is really going to be a gold tip glide, an 018. And with an 018 crossing catheter, try to keep a small loop and keep on going down. And uh, again, if I get sub into one, I really can't get back in. I'll typically uh, come from below and try to do sort of like a finger of God or something to that degree to come from above and below and balloon both and then try to get into that sub plane that you, you created with your two balloons. Okay, yeah. Similar techniques for below the knee too over here. Okay, cool. So let's say you've crossed and you do your IVUS. How often are you stenting in this situation? It depends. I seem to get a lot of calcified vessels in that sense and very long lengthy lesions when we're dealing with it. If it's above the knee, 
or will have total occlusions at the popliteal are certainly below. So therefore, I don't stent a lot, but I do because I hate putting in 35 centimeters of stent in someone or stents across the popliteal. I, I try to avoid that certainly unless I have to. And if for popliteal tibial vessels, there's not a lot of places where you know stents available. You can use off-the-shelf trugluting stents. But now we have a trial going on. Obviously, I'm not sure if you guys are involved in it at all, but for uh, trugluting stents below the knee, which I'm very excited about. That's great. Yeah, that's a, definitely a space that could use some help. That's fantastic. Okay, and then say all is successful. You've improved flow. Everything comes out. What is your post? procedural anticoagulation management? Well, I usually use DAP, aspirin plavix, typically. In some cases, if I've had a lengthy lesion and I think there's some thrombotic area to it, I will use a, a DOAC along with aspirin or plavix, always two. I'm using more DOACs, I think, nowadays, low-dose DOAC. In these cases, I don't know if you are doing that too or if, you, if you've tried it towards that. But It kind of depends on the yeah. patient population and their the availability of DOACs yeah, for yeah. them. That's what I've seen as, as the main issue is cost. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But I'm using it a little bit more frequently now. When I say frequently, maybe 10, 15% of the time, but it's usually aspirin Plavix. When Plavix was uh, not generic, we had the same problems as said after that. And certainly tibial vessels, I, I don't usually use, uh, it's almost always a dual antiplatelet therapy. I'm a lot more aggressive on my re-imaging on my CLI patients, especially so I usually get a post-duplex about six to eight weeks afterwards. I'll see them beforehand just to make sure they're doing okay, obviously. And then if, they're, if they seem to be doing okay, I'll get a duplex just to see where we're at. And I follow them uh, every three months with a duplex really for the first year or until their wound heals. And I'm pretty aggressive in getting them back in if there's any problems. Not so much problems with the duplex, but if... I'm a little bit, I'll see them more frequently in follow-up too if the duplex starts looking bad, your TBIs or whatever. But typically, like I said, about every three months until it's healed. All right. Okay. Well, this has been a really great introduction to the reorientation technique and the Pioneer device. I'm excited to use it in this new way. Any other advice for physicians who are looking to gain footing in the peripheral vascular space? Well, when you're asking that, do I have any advice for young physicians getting into it? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, especially on the peripheral side, you really have to commit to it. I've seen so many people that are dabblers and they hurt the patients, I think, more so when they're just dabblers, especially when you're talking about critical limb. I think you really have to commit to doing it and try to be in love with it, a lot of it. I know when I first started out, I used to jump in cases all the time of competing groups we were in private practice, so I used to go in competing groups and just jump in cases with them to learn more. Because I think the more you see, not just doing it, but seeing it, I think really educate yourself and build your confidence as you're doing things. If you've seen something once, it's not a problem. If it's the first time you're seeing it, that can be difficult. So I think that's the thing I tell a lot of young people. I have I usually train four fellows every year, interventional fellows, and usually one of them will go out and build a successful peripheral vascular program someplace. And that's because they've committed to it when you really have to, you have to do that commitment. Awesome. Cross-specialty collaboration is one of the tenets of Backtable. So I'm glad you spoke to that. That's really, really important to us. One of the other tenets of Backtable is don't be a jerk. So yes. So we've also accomplished that during this podcast. (laughs) Well, you know what? We, did you ever go to some of the meetings, like one of our meetings, AMP? I've never been to that one, but yes, that is a goal of mine to go to that. Yeah, it's a great meeting. 
it's in Chicago. It's always in uh, August. You know, it's my favorite meeting that I do. And uh, it's really a lot of like minds. You know, there's multi-specialty vascular surgeons, IRs, cardiology. Among the faculty, sometimes I forget who's what, <laughs> to be honest with you. Someone's an IR, someone's a vascular surgery. We kind of talk the same language, which is kind of nice. I think when you become an expert, and, and I think many people can become experts, most people talk the same language. And, and I think that's what's great about it. We, we cross over. Perfect. Awesome way to end. Dr. Davis, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, rate the podcast five stars, and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at at underscore Backtable on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable is produced and hosted by myself, Aaron Fritz, and co-hosts Chris Beck, Sabine Dong, Michael Barraza, and Ali Behetti. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, Josh Spencer, design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz, social media and PR by Ann Dang, Manisha Naganathanahali, and Manbir Singh Sabli. Administrative support provided by Jim Kinnebrew. Intro and extra music is Ripperoo by Skeptic Moon. Find us on Spotify or at local live music venues in New Orleans, Louisiana. Thanks again for listening. 